Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 3 as we continue in our series on Ephesians on our identity in Christ. Uh, let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning, God, a time as we continue to worship as we've done so through singing, uh, through uh, prayer, through confession, through reading, through our fellowship together. Uh, God, by sheer virtue of our togetherness this morning, uh, you are doing a work uh, in us and through us. And God, we celebrate that. God, I pray now that as we open your word, as we open your scriptures that you've inspired, that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us understanding of what it is you are saying to us through your word this morning. Give us an understanding of our sin and brokenness and our need for you. God, we celebrate the cross of Christ by which we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. We thank you uh, that you, Jesus, change our identity, that you change our attention, our affection, our motivations. Uh, God, that you spur us on to a new action, a new way of living in light of this new identity. So, Lord, I pray uh, that this morning you give us insight to, to what it is you're doing in us and through us. And, God, I pray that in all things you receive the glory, that we receive great joy, and that the good news of Jesus would ripple out from this place to the nations. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul... A prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the good stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known by the sons of men in other generations, and it has been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am in the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal promise that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is God's word. Jesus makes known to us uh, the goodness of God. He makes known to us the rescue that God secures for us. We therefore experience this personal redemption in the context of community together on mission with this good news. We've been in Ephesians for several months now, and as we've seen, Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus during the first century, writing to a highly educated, uh, economically prosperous, diverse culture in the first century. He's writing to uh, a city that's uh, a little bit bigger than the city of Augusta in which we live, and he is writing addressing identity issues. It's so easy to find our identity in other things, whether it be our status or our money or our past mistakes or our future uh, hopes or our present 
uh, prideful triumphs. But Paul is writing to this church saying, uh, he's writing as a man who has experienced the good news of Jesus personally. Paul's background is um, probably different than most of ours. But Paul, having experienced the good news of Jesus, is forever changed and is writing to this church, uh, expressing to them the goodness of God and the gospel, the good news that in Christ we have personal redemption, and that this personal redemption takes place in the context of a community, other people, and that this good news uh, propels us as a community of personally redeemed people to take this gospel with us on mission. So I want to look at a few things today uh, in this passage, which is uh, building on the the prior uh, chapters we've seen. Uh, The book of Ephesians is a letter, so it was meant to be uh, read to uh, the church uh, in one one sitting, one proclamation, but we break it down so we can uh, really um, focus in on some themes. And so today, what I want us to see is that In Christ, we have a personal redemption that's experienced in the context of a community, and this propels us on mission with the good news. And I want us to see how we get that in the the first few verses here. Uh, First, I want us to look at personal redemption, because Paul writes here in the first three verses of this chapter, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Paul, if you read in the book of Acts, chapter 9, you can see that Paul was a uh, devout religious leader. He was a uh, high-up Jewish uh, authority guy. Um, In his life, he was very opposed to Christianity. When Christianity first was was going, when Jesus first commissioned out his apostles and they were uh, spreading the gospel, Paul was actually very opposed to this. He was not a Christian. He didn't see Jesus as the Messiah. He was very smart. He was very religious. He was very righteous according to Jewish tradition. And in so doing, his zeal for righteousness, his zeal for uh, religious tradition that he was a leader in, his zeal caused him to be a persecutor of the Christian church. He was, uh, you can see in in Acts 8, he was actually present at the stoning of of Stephen uh, and was one of the most uh, zealous proponents of Christian persecution. But what's amazing is Jesus saves him, literally knocks him off of his high horse. (laughs) Jesus reveals himself to Paul and says, look, you're, you're persecuting me and reveals to Paul that Jesus is indeed the expectation, uh, the fulfillment of all the expectations of the Old Testament, that that this religious tradition that Paul was was a leader in was expecting a Messiah, and that Jesus indeed was that Messiah. So Jesus saves Paul. And Paul goes on to uh, write a lot of the New Testament to help start churches, to train up young Christian leaders, and to take this good news to all many different parts of the world of that day. And I love what he says here. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He's been captivated, been, been um, sold out for Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me 
by revelation. Now, Paul says here that there's a mystery that's been made known. And often when we see the word mystery, we think of like Agatha Christie or Sherlock Holmes. But the way the Bible uses the word mystery is not some enigma we must discover and find out and and that we must gather clues and, and piece together, you know, decode the Bible, so to speak. When the Bible uses the word mystery, the mystery is a word meaning that's something that's been veiled that can only be revealed by the power of God. And if you do a search on your Bible app or whatever, uh, a majority of the time, anytime you type in the word mystery, in the same sentence with mystery is the word revealed or revelation. It's, it's always coupled with something that's being veiled as the mystery, but it's only unveiled and made known through the power of God by his spirit. And that's what Paul writes here. In verse 3, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. That, that something has once been veiled and that by the power of God through revelation, this, this mystery has been made known to him personally. He goes on to write that this is what is known as the gospel, the good news. It's been made known in generations past by the holy apostles and the prophets. This mystery, in verse 6, is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It's an amazing statement that Paul's making there. A guy who had grown up in this religious tradition has risen in the ranks to be a strong leader of, of Jewish tradition and a proponent of Jewish tradition in opposition of anything that would seem to be a heresy or an affront to God. And for a season, Paul thought that was Christianity. And he did so with great zealously persecuted Christians. But God makes known to him that, no, the mystery, the, the thing that is being revealed is what the prophets and the apostles have been talking about. This is good news that Gentiles are fellow heirs with the saints. Now, the word Gentile, you know, we don't really go around using that. Hey, are you a Gentile? Um, we don't really use that language today. A Gentile is a person that essentially is a non-Jew a person that is not in God's covenant family in the Old Testament, a person that is, that is culturally and spiritually, religiously, and in tradition separated from God. And the mystery that has been made known, the gospel, the good news, is that those who were far off have been brought near. Those who were not God's people have been made God's people. And so for Paul to say this, this is the most, uh, almost religiously speaking, an absurd statement. For Paul to say, I am smart, I am one of the most powerful religious guys that have ever lived. And I'm telling you that wicked, pagan, crazy, culturally weird people are now part of God's family. That's been made known to him. And that is good news for you and me today. He goes on to say many different things about, um, according to this gospel, I was made a minister. I'm the very least of all the saints. He's preaching the gospel to these Gentiles. In verse 9, I bring to light for everyone that is in the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may now be made known. And I love that statement, the manifold wisdom I mean, that word manifold means multicolored. It means multifaceted. It's like looking at a diamond with many different sides to it, all beautiful. In fact, if you, the word manifold in Greek is the same word that's used to describe Joseph's multicolored coat in Genesis. 
And so Paul is saying, look, the gospel is a multifaceted jewel. The, the, the beauty of this good news is, is like multicolored and multifaceted and so many different angles you can look at it. And it's a mystery that we cannot understand on our own. It's something that God reveals to us. He has done through prophets, through the apostles, and ultimately through his son, Jesus. And so Paul, understanding all these things, is experiencing personal redemption no longer defined by the religious tradition that he was uh, aspiring to understand God's uh, plan, but now seeing that he's been redeemed from that to receive the mystery revealed by the Spirit of God. Something he's not achieved on his own, but something that is a gift of God by his grace is what Paul says here. That God, by his grace, has given this knowledge by revelation to Paul. This makes Paul a minister to Gentiles. He goes on to preach to them. And I love what he says in verse 8. Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Paul's name, Paulus, means little. (laughs) So in this statement, Paul's saying, I'm a little guy. I'm the littlest of the least of the saints. You see, what happens when we experience personal redemption in Christ is we see our true place. We're no longer prideful because of how smart we are, how wealthy we are, how powerful we are, but we are brought low because we understand the mystery of personal redemption is that we bring nothing to the table except our sin. We bring nothing to the table of salvation except our need to be rescued. And Paul gets it. He says, I'm no longer a great religious leader. I am a wicked man that needs salvation. I'm no longer powerful and and wise in my own thinking, but I am humble and receive this gift of grace from God. And the good news of personal redemption is that Jesus saves saints and sinners alike. Because Paul could easily have said, and he says this in other parts of the New Testament, of, of hey, I was, I was the most righteous among my peers. I mean, I did everything right. I held the letter of the law to a T. But Jesus saves him from his prideful, righteous religion. And likewise, Jesus saves Gentiles. He writes in verse 6, those who are culturally and spiritually far off from God, are brought near. And that's the mystery of the gospel that God makes known. Is that the gospel is about personal redemption. Taking us from pride to humility. Taking us from achieving our own righteousness to receiving righteousness by grace through faith in Christ. So I want to ask you this. Personal redemption. What does this look like in your life? What does personal redemption look like in your life? Maybe you can relate to Paul saying, look, I am the most religious person in the room. I'm smart. I've always done everything right. I have grown up in a great cultural tradition of Christianity, and I I keep the law to a T. I mean, I do this, and I do that, and I do that. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you find yourself more along the lines of the, the, the Gentiles, those who are, you know, no, I've never, this is my first time in a church service, and I don't get it. Wherever you are on the spectrum, the good news, the mystery of Christ that has been been made known by the prophets and the apostles that was made known to Paul 
that was made known, known ultimately uh, through Jesus by the Holy Spirit of God is that God saves saints and sinners. He rescues us. And this is good news. So where are you in this spectrum? Do you see your life defined by the sins of your past? Do you see your life defined by the righteousness of your tradition? I'll put it to you this way. Has Jesus saved you? Are you a Christian? Because it is our hope and prayer that God, by his spirit, through his word this morning, will awaken dead hearts to beat with life. Because we all need rescue. We all need personal redemption. But as Paul writes to this church in Ephesus, he is not writing only to talk about his personal redemption, although he says that numerous times. He's like, look, this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, how the mystery was made known to me as I have written. I mean, Paul is very much about personal redemption, as you and I should be as well. Personal redemption is important. In Christ, you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. And that's something to be celebrated. But secondly, it fits in the context of being redeemed with other people. Being in a a community of believers. What the New Testament calls the church. In verse 10, he says, so through the church. The word church means ecclesia. It means a gathering of God's people. It's something that God does. God redeems individuals so that he can gather them together and redeem a community. And so God is redeeming individuals and also redeeming a called out, gathered people, what he calls the church, which is of utmost importance in our journey of redemption together. You see, Paul says in verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. What's the next statement? For you. You see, Paul sees his personal redemption in the context of a community together, a community that's being redeemed with the good news of Jesus. See, Paul doesn't just say, hey, you've heard about my personal redemption. I mean, God gave me this grace. Boom. No, he says, you've heard that I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. I, you, you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written. Briefly, I've written to you. You see, personal redemption is not only for our own benefit, although it is, in part, is for the benefit of those others who are being redeemed. The community of redemption together. This is why, you probably picked up on this, this is why the name of this church is Redemption Church. We believe in personal redemption in the context of community. That's why we're here. We're celebrating personal redemption as we gather together, that that God gives us, by his grace, redemption so that we steward it for each other. That the grace that God gives Paul is for the church at Ephesus. That the grace that God gives me is for you. That the grace of God who has given you is for each other and for my benefit as well. That's why we stick together. We all walk into the room in different stages of the spectrum of faith. Some of us saying, we've been righteous. Some of us saying, we're wicked. Some of us saying, I'm a new believer. I'm not yet a believer. I'm trying to figure it out. Some of us have been believers for a long time. And God brings us together to be recipients of personal redemption by God's grace for each other. Such good news, man. Because America is widely individualistic. And one author in 
Bible commentator and teacher said that individualism is the great North American heresy. That um, we're so individualistic we miss out on the community aspect of redemption together. But Paul says, look, you are a steward of grace. I mean, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus on your behalf. You've heard of the grace that I'm stewarding given to me for you. And as Paul is saying this, the mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're, they're brought in, that we are all brought together, fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He's saying, look, man, no matter how wicked you are, no matter what culture you come from, in Christ, the good news of the gospel is that you have been rescued and saved. You were a fellow heir. I mean, does that, does that, even, that should blow your mind to think that, okay, as wicked and goofy as I am, I'm a fellow heir with Paul, who wrote Ephesians. That's jamming. I mean, the gospel is hilarious when you think about it. But it's true. Paul is saying that the mystery, what's been revealed by God, is that, that Jesus is rescuing saints and sinners alike to be fellow heirs, redeemed together to be part of the same family. I mean, last week we even looked at this at the end of chapter 2. You should recap it. In verse 19, chapter 2, he says, You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. You were members of the household of God. You were part of the, uh, the bricks that are in the temple being built together for God's dwelling place. There's this community aspect of redemption, like citizens are, are stewards of culture and emissaries, that families are, are brothers and sisters that come together, they rely on each other, they participate in a relationship. It's like having a big Thanksgiving feast and you bring a dish to the feast and you help clean up afterwards. Paul is saying that you were bricks in the same temple being built together, that, that the point of a brick is not just to lay there, but to be stacked up with other bricks, to be built into the dwelling place of God. And uh, my friend Ben pointed out this great Spurgeon quote from Charles Spurgeon this week. He said, I know that there are some who say, well, I have given myself to the Lord, but I do not intend to give myself to the church. Now, why not? Because I can be a Christian without it. Are you quite clear about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to your Lord's command as being obedient. What is a brick made for? To help build a house. It is of no use for that brick to tell you that it's just as good a brick while it is kicking about on the ground as it would be in the house. It is a good-for-nothing brick. So, you Rolling Stone Christians, I do not believe that you are answering your purpose you are living contrary to the life with which Christ would have you live. And you are much to blame for the injury you do. I mean, he's a British preacher from 100 years ago, so he's awesome. <laughs> and when we hear that quote, it is not to me be a guilt-ridden quote. I mean, you're here, so good job. But it is a good reminder to know that our personal redemption is not only for us, but for each other. That we are not bricks to be rolling about on the hill outside or collecting moss in the rain, but we are bricks to be built together, stacked together to be built into a dwelling place of God, a temple, what Paul says in Ephesians 2. That the gospel community being built together is a display of Christ's reconciling work. 
that the mystery that's been revealed is that God does personal redemption for the most wicked sinners and for the most righteous wannabes. But he does so in the context of a community together so that the grace that's been given to individuals is for the benefit of others. Are you with me? And this is such good news. It gives us a place to be dirty bricks together. You don't have to go about it alone. If we look to the grace of God, we look to Christ as our redemption, it doesn't matter who walks in this room and who says, hey, God saved me. It doesn't matter how weird they look or how bad they smell or how polished they are, eloquent their speech may be. All of us need the gospel. So what does that look like for you? What does your personal redemption look like? And how is your personal redemption playing out in the context of community? How's it playing out? Good news is there's no guilt in the gospel. There's bucket loads of grace. And finally, we see that this redemption is personal and this redemption takes place together. But this redemption comes with it responsibilities. I mean, we've been redeemed for a purpose, as we saw last week, as we just heard in the quote, is that if you were redeemed from being a stranger to a citizen, you have responsibility to be stewards of the culture in which you find yourself, right? That you are part of the family, so you bring something to the table, that when you are a stone being part of God's structure to temple for his dwelling place, you have a response, you have a role to play. All of us do. Because good news obligates action on the part of the recipient. I mean, when you hear good news, you have an obligation to tell it. We were watching Parks and Recreation. It's a great show, right? A couple days ago, and, you know, there's this, this mock emergency thing, and this one poor guy, Jerry Gergich, thinks it's a real emergency. He's like, takes off down the street. I've got to go get my girls. And he's running down the street to go save his wife and daughters because he thinks it's a real emergency. And everybody's like, no, no, this is just a drill. And nobody bothers to tell the dude. And so he like takes off in utter panic. Now the good news is there was no emergency. But the bad news is that those who knew that didn't bother telling poor Jerry or Gary. Likewise, you and I today have received by grace the good news of the rescue of God, the rescue of us by God through Jesus. We are obligated upon receiving this good news to tell it. We receive grace as to steward it. I mean, Paul says this in verse 7 of this gospel. What gospel? A personal redemption, community redemption, by grace, through faith. I mean, Jesus revealed this by prophets and apostles and ultimately through Jesus and Verse 7, of this gospel, gospel means good news, of this good news, this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. When you receive something, you you have to steward it. When you hear good news, you you have to tell it. You can't sit on it. When when God is redeeming you personally, you have to tell others and show others how he's redeeming you personally. When when we're living out corporately as stones stacked together for God's dwelling places, his church, his gathered people, we we live this out in such a way to, to display this good news. We are obligated 
Not by guilt, but by grace. It's not like shame on you. You're not doing this enough. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, hey, guess what? God saved you. Let's go tell people. I mean, God saved you. Let's hang out and display what God's doing in our midst. I was reading Magician's Nephew uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia series. I just finished that a couple days ago. I read through these every couple years. I mean, it's one series of books that every human should own in print, not Kindle. I mean, it should be on your shelf. All right, and I was reading Magician's Nephew which by C.S. Lewis. And, and if you know the story, you know there's a boy named Diggory who comes to Narnia during its creation. And, and as he's like hopping around through these puddles, going to different worlds, he brings back this evil queen into Narnia during its creation. And the evil queen messes some stuff up. And Aslan, who is the lion, the godlike character, says at one point, he says, evil will come of that evil, but it is still a long way off. And I will see to it that the worst falls upon myself. As Adam's race has done the harm, Adam's race shall help to heal it. And then he looks at Diggory and says, son of Adam, are you ready to undo the wrong that you have done to my sweet country? See, all of us bear the weight of wrecking God's sweet country. All of us have responsibility to be stewards of grace, to help undo the wrong that has been done. Like Aslan says, the worst will fall upon myself. We know ultimately that Christ pays the penalty for sin and wickedness and brokenness. But we're still asked the question, are you ready to undo the wrong that you have done? I mean, as Paul is writing here about the gospel, that he's been a made minister according to the gift of God's grace, and this grace is not for him to retain to himself, but to show to others in the church and to ultimately show uh, to others who are not yet gathered by God's grace. He says, To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone that is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I mean, Paul is saying, look, God who created everything. This is God's creation we are enjoying And through the church, through the gathered, redeemed people of God, the manifold wisdom of God may now be made known. The the multicolored, multifaceted beauty of the gospel will be made known. How? Through preaching, proclamation, but also through display. But by living out corporately together, we have this responsibility. It says, be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Man, that's a crazy statement there. That's not just, hey, uh, the good news of Jesus is going to be made known in your neighborhood. Yes? In your workplace? Mm Mm-hmm. In your school? Absolutely. In your family? Yeah. It says, in the authorities in the heavenly places. When the gospel gets cosmic here. This is where Paul is saying, look, I mean, there is stuff going on in a spiritual realm that we have no idea 
That there are angels and demons and stuff going on. And Paul says, through the church, through the gathered humans, personally redeemed, experiencing this redemption together in community, God is going to make his beauty known in the heavenly places. That, I can't even get my mind around that. And I watch Ancient Aliens. I like that show. My mom gave me, ah, I'm going to stop there. For Christmas, I got the DVDs. Oh boy, there goes all respect. Okay, let me talk about this. This is where I feel like when Paul says, I'm the least among them, I'm fine being the least. Because by the gospel, through the church, through the gathered people of God experiencing personal redemption in the context of community, God is showing his beauty cosmically. I mean, that the God that created everything out of nothing, all of creation sings his glory. Trees and rocks and stars and waterfalls and ladybugs are are displaying how amazing God is. And Paul says, look, the, the most, the clearest portrait of God's beauty will be shown through the church. Again, the gospel's hilarious. Really? God creates the Grand Canyon, but through this group of people, God can show how beautiful he is? Yeah. God creates, like, amoebas and, like, supernovas, but through those things, amoeba (laughs) and supernovae. And God can show his beauty through a ragtag group of folks from Augusta. I say that with an endearing spirit. It blows my mind. I love it because that means that God is the hero here, that Jesus is our rescuer, that the gospel is all about him. We just get to experience the fun of it. That ultimately, like Aslam, will take on the, the worst of the evil. People have part of the redemption for Narnia, right? I mean, in the same way, Jesus takes the brunt of the brokenness, but we have part of the redemption. We get to like come along for the ride. It's so amazing that we have a personal responsibility in the context of a community together to join together in the redemptive work of Christ, that the church, the gathered people together are are agents of reconciliation, that ultimately I can't save you from your sin, you can't save your neighbor from his sin, but ultimately we, we can proclaim and display together the effects of redemption and therefore people can, can look to Jesus and say, well, that's, that's amazing. I mean, friends, if you are a Christian, if you have been saved, you've experienced personal redemption, God has given you grace to steward. Not grace to keep, but to give away to others in this room, to others in this fellowship of believers together. And together as a community, we experience this redemption and we steward this grace to the schools that we attend and the neighborhoods in which we live and the jobs that we go to and the city that we participate in, events in. And I love it that, I mean, this just blew my mind this week. It was like, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose. I mean, God's eternal purpose that was realized in Christ Jesus. That I just can't wrap my head around it. 
So Paul makes the gospel very personal, and then he makes it community, and then he makes it cosmic, and just says, look, authorities and the rulers and the heavenly places, God's eternal purpose. I mean, from infinity past, this was part of God's plan in Christ Jesus. And then he like funnels it back down again in verse 12. In whom we, we have boldness, we have access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. I mean, I wish I could have heard Paul like preach this. Makes it personal and corporate and cosmic and then takes it back in. Makes it personal again. The God of creation is your father. That we are together experiencing this redemption. So to wrap it up, I'll ask you this. We've talked about personal redemption. We've talked about redemption together in community. We've talked about stewarding redemption, uh, taking grace with us. So I want to ask us to assess a couple things. First, with your personal redemption, I'll just lay it out there, man. Are you a Christian? If you're not, I want to talk to you about that. I want you to know the beauty of Jesus who will rescue you from whatever you're in. <laughs> he will adopt you into God's family. He will bring you into God's people. Not by anything you do, but everything he's done on your behalf. That's what I want you to know. In Christ, we have personal redemption. And if you're not a Christian, we want you to know that. If you are a Christian, we need to do a few things in light of this redemption personally. We need to celebrate with thanksgiving and worship the grace that's been given us. And that's something to celebrate. That's something to thank God for. That's something to pray about. When you, do you open scripture and read it and meditate on it? I mean, Paul is saying here that, that Jesus has given him this grace, that this was a mystery made known by God's revelation. Well, for you and I today, you're likely not going to be riding a horse on your way home and like a ball of light's going to knock you off and the Lord's going to speak to you. That likely will not happen. It could, but it probably won't. But we know that the Lord speaks through his word because Paul even says here that, that this mystery was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That's a huge statement about the Bible because we know that this is Scripture and Scripture is written by prophets in the Old Testament and apostles in the New Testament. And Paul says here in verse 3, Five, and verse 5 is that, is that this mystery has been revealed by the Holy Spirit of God through the prophets, that's Old Testament guys, and, and through the apostles, which is New Testament guys. So if you want to know more about the beauty of redemption that you're experiencing, read the Bible, Old Testament and New. And may you fall more in love with Jesus and worship and rely on him. Faith is, is ongoing relational trust. So I pray that your ongoing relational trust in Jesus will grow and be amazing. So that's personal redemption. Corporate redemption, that together redemption. We try to do this here at this church. We do it very imperfectly. I mean, the temple that God is building, the stones are, are like misshapen and some have moss on them and coral and just lumps. And it's beautiful. And we don't do it perfectly here. But we try to provide opportunities for us to experience a togetherness of redemption. And some of it is structured, some of it's not structured. 
What I mean by structured is we have corporate worship gatherings on Sundays at 1045. You're here, so you know about that one. We have a couple missional communities that meet throughout the weeks where you gather in people's homes and talk about what's going on and, and many use the questions from the bulletin to try to apply this. We have DNA groups where you can partner with one or two other people and really press the gospel into your heart. All right, we, we have... Um, I mean, those are just structured things. We have very unstructured things. I mean, loosely structured, like, hey, man, you like football? Let's go watch the game. Or, hey, man, there's this great band called the Rambling Fevers. I'm going to go see them at Sky City. You want to go? Casual friendships that can form are the pathways to experience a togetherness of redemption. So let's press into those. We experience personal and corporate redemption. We also have to steward this grace as a community on mission. And this is where uh, service comes into play. We serve each other with the grace we've been given. And we serve non-Christians with the grace we've been given. Now, very practically here at Redemption Church, there are so many ways to serve. And we threw this out there last week. I want to throw it out there again. Before you leave, I would encourage you to stop by our guest services table where there are numerous opportunities for you to serve. And I want you to know something, that if you sign up to work with Redemption Kids, you are stewarding the grace that God has given you to some of the littlest, not yet Christians. I mean, some of them are, but some of them are not yet Christians. If you want a mission field to to Gentiles, to pagans, Let me introduce you to Redemption Kids. Some of them are Christians. You can can help disciple these little ones. Some of them are not yet Christians. And you can help love them with the grace God has given you to steward. If kids aren't your thing, you're like freaked out by them, um, let me tell you something. Hanging signs around here and setting up speakers, that act of service is a display of the gospel. It's no small thing to help with the logistics around here. It is very much a display of God's goodness. And many of you guys are doing this, and I want to thank you. Because as you do so, I'm hoping that God is encouraging you uh, with joy in the gospel, that you're experiencing fruit of your labor, and in so doing, you're saying, wow, God is up to something around here. I hope that's the case, and I want to thank you for that. Because when God saves us, He gives us his grace for our personal joy. He gives us his grace for our corporate edification to encourage and build each other up. And he also gives us that grace so that we can display and proclaim the good news of redemption in Christ. You with me? Awesome. I'm going to pray. God, thank you so much uh, for another morning to gather together with your people, as your people. Uh, God, I pray... um, so much. I just pray that by your spirit you would wreck us with the gospel. God, I thank you for personal redemption that in Christ we are no longer, longer prideful, but you would bring us to a point of humility that we see that we are not achieving our own standing, but we are recipients of grace. So God, I pray that personally in my heart you would give me a posture of humility to receive grace. I pray that for all of my friends here in the Redemption Church family. Corporately, Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us a great amount of joy, boldness, and faith because we have access to the King through Christ. 
but this boldness and faith would be cause for joy and humility and not pride and stubbornness. God, I pray that you would give us vision corporately as a church body of of, of how you are at work, how you are revealing the mystery of the gospel in our midst, through our relationships together. And God, this would, this would empower us and, and stir us up to uh, good works in our city, in our communities, in our schools and workplaces uh, that would be done uh, in light of the gospel as a, as a way to display. Uh, God, we do not want to take lightly the fact that Uh, You say here in your word that the church uh, is the vessel by which the manifold wisdom of God will be made known to the world. And God, may we not take that lightly. May we see our personal responsibility in that. But may that responsibility be done with ongoing, humble, joyful reliance on Christ. We thank you that you were good. We thank you that you've saved us and are saving us and will ultimately save us. And God, I pray that in all things you get all the glory, that we get the joy, and that the good news of Jesus will be made known in Christ's name. Amen.